Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 9, Episode 9. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author T.J. Lee, about cryptic collectors, insidious invaders, mysterious messages, and gluttonous grottos. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors... Turn your lights down low and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Don't you hate it in the mornings when you have to run to the curb hoping to beat the garbage truck there before it drives away? I mean, those old corpses aren't going to get rid of themselves, are they? But in our first T.J. Lee story for the evening, what happens when they start to come during the night and garbage isn't all they're interested in taking? Without further ado, I present to you, They Came at Night.
why did the garbage men start coming in the dead of night? Does anyone know? I've been losing an average of 30 minutes of sleep every night for the past 10 days. Now I'm down to a paltry 4 hours and 30 minutes. My walls are beginning to shift and my vision is blurring. I have to focus. I need to focus. Someone out there has to know. Does anyone know why the garbage collectors have switched to the night shift? Even asking it sends shivers down my spine. It's light, and soon I'll hear them turn up to collect. I can't sleep upstairs anymore, not where they can see me. Now I sleep in the living room with my gun propped up against my shoulder. The weight, a stern reminder that I am present. I am awake. I am a threat to them. They won't try anything if I'm a threat to them, right? Wait, I'm sorry. Let me explain. My name's Tyson. I'm a farmer with a thriving family, a loving wife and two bright young boys. We live in a very remote area that requires a significant amount of divergence for basic services. I won't say where. Uh, I won't risk my family or my business, especially knowing what kind of armchair detectives there are out there. I respect what y'all do and fear you in equal measure, so I'd rather throw you a bone you can thoroughly chew on as opposed to delving into mine and my family's personal info. What I can tell you is this patch of land has been in my family for six generations, was not acquired illegally, built on sacred land, and, to the best of my knowledge, has never had a violent occurrence or bloodshed. We're normal, hard-working folk who have always tried to do right, which makes what's going on here all the more difficult to understand, to quantify and reason with, when the basic logic gives way. I hear you. You're undoubtedly scratching your heads and asking, why are garbage collectors such an issue? And I don't blame you. I'll get to that. Something shifted by the gates. No sound. Can't be the garbage men. You hear them a mile off. They're not subtle about making their presence known. The first night they turned up was so startling that I honest to God thought we were being robbed by the most unprofessional thieves this part of the world has ever birthed. Rambunctious, loud, and borderline jovial in their candor. It was always the same, each and every time. The sounds of the huge mechanical vehicle roaring as it drove up my dirt road Crushing twigs and kicking up dirt as a ground to a stop by the gates some fifty feet from my front door. Two thuds, boots hitting the ground, stumbling over to the main gate where our trash was left for the garbage men on a Tuesday. Usually a couple of surly men got out, grunted, and hauled ass out of the area as soon as possible. These two couldn't have been happier to be there from the sounds of things. Young men, smiles almost visible in their tone. This the one, Bill? Looks ready to me. I reckon it is, Jeff. Let's get her done. A laugh, a high five, the sounds of something being dragged, then thrown into the truck before they'd back out of the driveway and go off into the night. Unusual, right? My wife and kids certainly thought so, 
especially when the trash was still there the next morning. Maybe there were some weird kids pulling a prank, my wife Lucy remarked, taking a sip from her coffee and glancing nervously at the window. I think she was saying it more for our boys' benefit than our own. I nodded and ushered them away from the windows, told them to go play. The next night it happened again, not at a specific time so much as that dead-of-night period between 1 a.m. and 3 a.m. when the world falls totally silent around you. None of our animals made a peep during that time frame, nor did we dare to, because when we heard them roll up again, we were paralyzed with fear. It took a few minutes to realize it, but when I looked to my wife and she returned my fearful glance with a wide-eyed stare and a nod, we scooped up the boys and huddled in our bed. The exact same sounds, the exact same time footsteps, the exact same conversation. We heard them drag something wet into the truck before leaving after maybe 15 minutes. My younger boy, Jace, was always anxious, and hearing this uncanny valley stuff at his age sent him into a panic attack. We spent the remaining time soothing him while my oldest son, Travis, took to peering through the window with me. Our pig pen that lay some 40 feet to the right of the house had the door ripped off the hinges and a blood trail leading from the entrance all the way to the farm gates where the garbageman had been. When we mustered up the courage to inspect further, the pigs were silent, unmoving, and staring at the long dirt road that led away from our home. The tall trees that littered our farm were looming overhead as if to silence them from telling what they'd seen. We tried calling the city council to complain, but they were as perplexed as we were, and said trash pickup day was still Tuesday, and that since it was only Sunday, we weren't due. They advised we file a complaint with the police for trespassers, but that yielded absolutely nothing. In the meantime, things escalated. Night three brought us the same routine, same sounds. Even after we'd taken to putting a lock on the pig pen, they still took one, this time making sure to leave a small pile of viscera behind, perhaps as a warning. We elected to put the animals in the barn and deadbolt it, hoping the pranksters would get the message and perhaps get bored. I ordered a CCTV camera, but with my location being so out of the way... It was going to take time to arrive, and I wasn't about to stand in my window with a camera pointed out at some weirdos. We didn't consider the consequences of this defiance. It was night five. The boys were sleeping in our room, and like clockwork, they showed up and pulled me from what little sleep I was getting, my wife soon after. Silently, goosebumps raised on our skin and a chill in our bones, we strained our ears against the open window, hoping to hear their frustration and subsequent decision to leave. The routine continued until Jeff spoke to Bill. The moment they opened their mouths, I knew something was horribly wrong. This the one, Bill? Looks locked to me. I reckon it is, Jeff. Let's pay him a visit. They rattled our front doorknob and politely knocked at the door. Five rhythmic knocks, five seconds of silence, five more aggressive knocks. I bolted downstairs and grabbed my rifle, keeping the lights off. 
but my aim was focused on them. Adrenaline pushed fear aside, if only to defend my family. I don't know who you are, but you've been coming onto my property unannounced, and I ain't standing for it no more. I pulled back on the bolt, and the sound filled the room. You got three seconds to turn in your heel, or I'm firing. My eyes adjusted to the front door, and in the darkness, two shapes stood behind my door, shrouded by the shadow of the night. They were tall, with thin legs and bizarre movements, like they were swaying in place. Those three seconds felt like an eternity. One! The shadow, to the front, leaned forward, trying to press its face against the glass. Something was wrong. Two! You moved away and trapped the letterbox, testing if it opened up. When it did, it held it open and spoke as the second shadow stepped closer. Three never came. Instead, I backed away out of terror and barricaded our room, unable to speak. It repeated my last words back at me. Exact same pitch, exact same tone. But something was off about it. Like hearing your own voice played back through old speakers. You sense an eeriness to it. As I'd instinctively taken steps back, however, the other one spoke. This was the first time either said anything that didn't repeat. And I swear to God it makes my heart pound in my throat just typing it. Come to collect. Come outside. My legs carried my body before I could register what was going on. Rushing to the bedroom and locking it, I pulled my family in close and held my head down to theirs, desperate to block out whatever ungodly sounds erupted from our front door. It took a half hour before they gave up, assumed their usual routine and left, the sound of the tires speeding off up the road bringing some degree of relief. Until the following morning, when our nearest neighbors, the Gundersons, reported a break-in at their farm some five miles up the road. The perpetrators had smashed through the gate, entered the barn, and done such violent acts to their cattle that of the ten that had been attacked and mutilated, only two survived and were immediately put out of their misery by the patriarch, Ted. Having problems with these sons of bitches too, Ty? He bellowed down the phone once I began retelling our sleepless events. You sound like hell and probably look worse than the cows at this point. I ain't having it. You got a young family to support, and when they hurt one of us, they hurt all of us. Tonight we put an end to it, you hear? I nodded, agreeing to stake out our property that night and do whatever needed to be done. Hands still shaking, I grabbed a stiff drink from the cabinet. Never been much of a drinker. Most of this was my dad's for the tougher times. But if times were tough now, I don't know when they would be. Ted rolled up around 11 p.m. The wife and kids were asleep and we talked in the living room for a while, mainly discussing how the harvest had gone and what we could do to protect our livelihoods in this day and age. The conversation petered off, as they often do, when a night draws on, but it was as if we fell silent that the realization swept over us. We were going to confront these people tonight. I gripped my gun a little tighter as Ted gave me an assuring nod, peeking out the window for any signs of the garbage man. Son of a... My farm, he bellowed, springing to his feet and bursting out the door before I could get a word in edgewise. 
He was halfway down the road before I could ask him what he was doing. He turned his eyes wild with fear and rage, pointing a shaking finger to the small shape that was his house far across the hill. It was on fire, large pillars of smoke billowing forth as the fire danced in the light, illuminating the surrounding fields. I can't sit here while my farm, my livelihood burns away, Ty. If those bastards are behind this, well, you can bet your ass they won't last the night when I'm through with them. I'll teach him a lesson about the value of things, the things people throw away. He turned on his heel and ran to his truck, speeding off before anything more could be said. This would be the only night the garbage men didn't pay us a visit. I got a bit of extra sleep, but my wife didn't. She just stared out the window at the Gunderson's farm in the distance and shook her head. She knew how there'd be no help on the horizon. She knew how close we are to that fate. And seeing that scares me to death. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The eighth night. They arrived with no sound of vehicles, no grand buildup to the crescendo of their routine. They whistled softly as if calling an animal, patient in their calls as they scraped something around in the dirt. I was crippled by fear and could not dream of facing them. I looked around in the dark and saw my wife was still asleep, my eldest snoring in the corner. But my youngest, my youngest was wide awake and transfixed. And staring at the window, outlooking our driveway, reaching out to open it. I leaped out of the bed and was just about to tackle him away. The shock of such a violent affair sent him into a panic attack as the entire family snapped awake in a frenzy shouting over one another as he cried uncontrollably. This has got to stop, Tyson. We can't do this anymore. We can't live like this. Lucy was exhausted, her eyes barely open and her teeth chattering. In the moment of silence between us, the whistling started again, almost mocking in its turn if it weren't for the sinister giggling behind it. Shut up! Shut up and leave us alone! she screamed. 
walking toward that same window. It took everything I had to hold her back as she fell to pieces in my arms. My entire family crippled by nerves and a lack of sleep. It was only when one voice cut the air that the final night's events were set in motion. The things people throw away. Oh, no. Ted. One look into my wife's eyes and I knew what she was thinking. There was no stopping her. She darted around, packing the kids' clothes and any essentials she could find, ignoring the whistling outside and instructing our boys to focus on getting whatever they needed. You do what you need to do. I don't care if the nearest town is a three-hour drive or I undergo the seven-hour drive to my mom's. I will not stay another night in this house. Not until they're gone. She was almost delirious, fueled by fear and anger, as she darted around like a hurricane, turning over tables to get what she needed, as if prepping for a weather event. Within the half hour, she'd been rushing around. The noises had faded, and the outside once again fell silent. I couldn't leave the house. It had been our family's lineage for generations. We'd been born here, lived here, and died here no matter what. As the head of the family, it was my job to stay here and protect it, even if I couldn't protect those I loved most under its roof. She waited another hour before getting in the car and leaving, kissing me with all the passion she had when we first met. I told Jace he had to be strong and that he'd one day conquer his fears because I believed in him. I told Travis that, as the eldest, he needed to protect them like his life depended on it. Then, just like that, I waved them goodbye and promised I'd join them at their mother-in-law's when this was over. Now all that was left was to sharpen my resolve and find out what this was. I took the chance to try and get some sleep during the day, but no matter how hard I tried, it wouldn't come to me. So liquid courage it was, one way or another, this was going to end. Night nine, the penultimate night. Not a sound. I mean that in the most literal sense. The wind didn't move, the trees didn't speak, not a single blade of grass danced, and no dirt was kicked up. Everything was silent, so silent. My own thoughts were amplified in this void of sound. Every inane thought of what could happen flitted through my mind, forced me to double-check every window and door, triple-check the locks, ensure no oversight was left. Couldn't let them get an opportunity. Even if it was just me, I knew they were watching even now. If I hadn't known any better, I'd have said a shadow moved just beyond the porch window. Couldn't be sure, not without checking. I thought they were biding their time, keeping me on edge, and making sure I knew they could step in whenever they wanted and do as they pleased. But I kept my nerve. I resisted the urge to bolt to the truck. I had my whiskey and I had my gun. I'd see this through, even if it killed me. Night 10. Now we're all caught up. I checked on the animals this morning. What was left was a pile of bones, flesh, and waste. They'd been taken the night before, and I don't know how I didn't hear during the silence. There was but one horse's body left, teeth, marks, 
riddled the torso and the legs had been torn off. Our crops had grown fetid, decayed and worn. Nothing in our farm would yield a damn thing anymore. My livelihood was decimated in front of my eyes. Gone. It's light now. I'm sitting in my armchair with a rifle loaded and ready. My hands are shaking and my knee won't stop bouncing. I feel the dread start in my gut and worm its way through my chest before lodging in my throat and forcing every breath to be a labor of pain. They come early tonight, truck roaring and routine sounds in full swing. Only there aren't two sets of thuds this time. There are six. They walk up to the porch, a shadow covering every facet of the window and door panes. Not a speck of light coming through. The voices don't change their pattern. They never do. This the one, Bill? Looks ready to me. They found their fists against the window, a dull moan emanating from the background, pained, muffled, and growing in strength. I reckon it is, Jeff. Let's get her done. Nails drag down the glass. A horrific moaning accompanies the repeated intonations of the godforsaken phrases. These things people throw away. Ted. Poor Ted smashing his head against the wall, repeating it with every sick swing. It was only when I heard the fourth voice that finally I looked out at the window, perhaps on instinct. Not until they're gone. My Lucy. My sweet Lucy calling to me. I can't begin to tell you what I saw when I pulled back the curtains for just a split second. But every forbidden aspect of it is burned into my brain, and it will not leave me even as I shut my eyes from the surrounding chorus of madness. My kids, my own kids are now saying they've come to collect, that I must come outside. That whistle has come back. It's, it's almost soothing. I can't bear to do this on my own. I can't live with with that image in my skull anymore. I miss my wife. I miss my kids. I miss sleeping soundly at night. What if it's them out there? What if they really just want me to get help? And my own sick mind has put me in such a state that I'm here, asking you for help on something that is at its core truly simple? I'm going to put down the laptop and open the door. I have to know. I have to. Why did the garbagemen start coming in the dead of night? Does anyone know? I hope you enjoyed They Came at Night by author T.J. Lee, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Lee. That's L-E-A. Be sure to take a look at his book, The Last Sin Eater. Seems there's a lot more than fish and sturgeon, and not all of it pretty either. If you decide to stop by his profile, please leave TJ a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show 
and that Otis Gyre sent you. It would mean a lot to both me and him. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Maybe he should have told whoever was on the other side of that door that the only item left on the curb should be taken. After all, nobody throws out a perfectly good family and neighbor just like that. In our second T.J. Lee story, we take a look at the life of a man and his daughter and her methods of communication and of the kind of love that only someone out in the woods can share with them. Without further ado, I present to you Skin Dancer. A foreword from compendium owner Madame Nell Lockwood. It starts with a rhythmic tap. It ends when your joints go snap. That's the nature and danger of the skin dancer. Nobody knows where they came from, only that they've always been there. First through town rumors, then hushed voices, and finally only through the lens of the certified insane. I myself once heard the enticing thralls of a skin dancer outside my study window. I dared not look upon it, instead sending out my manservant, Manfred, to investigate. He did not return. I took it upon myself to then board up my home and ignore all contact for six months. It was lonely, but I think I starved the bugger out. Never again will I live near any godforsaken forests or woodland areas. Too many bugs and far too many things I don't fully understand yet. Skin dancers are the worst kind of creature. One that preys on children. If you see something dancing in the woods, for the love of whatever deity or elder one you worship, Vacate where you live and never return. It owns that home now. It was always hard for my wife and me to see our daughter's attempts to communicate always end in frustration and tears. Camille had been born with Alilia, a form of speech delay that the experts assured us she would outgrow as she got older. But there we were, seven years later, and unable to even hear how our daughter's day went without it turning into slammed doors. I can't begin to tell you how many times I convinced myself it was somehow my fault that my DNA was what had corrupted our girl. My wife, Teresa, took it harder. Being unable to communicate with her own child fractured her badly, leading to her spending the daylight hours drinking and her evenings pacing the hallways, trying to figure out methods for Camille to converse, failing to understand that support was needed more than constant solutions. I've done everything in my power to make my family more comfortable in those formative years of Camille's life. I moved us across the country when Camille was in the first grade because her school was ill-equipped for someone who was mute and she was unable to make friends. I enrolled her in a specialist school to help bolster her skills, and even changed jobs to accommodate her schedule more easily. Our new home was situated in a beautiful suburban area with a sprawling backyard that connected to the woods. Camille loved adventuring and exploring, so I hoped this would bring her out of her shell. 
Deep down, I just wanted her to know in any way possible that I was doing the best for her as her father. Camille, to her credit, was a bright young child that could be perceptible beyond her years and, in time, would utilize her intellect to communicate with us through sign language and her journal. I took to the ASL language quickly, but my wife struggled to pick it up and would ultimately dismiss the practice entirely, opting to put her faith in prayer and what she called church therapy, convinced that the Lord was testing her faith by putting her and Camille through suffering. This would result in more than one occasion where I came home to find her standing over Camille, shouting about the devil withholding her vocal cords, and that drastic measures needed to be taken. When she began to shake and obviously frightened Camille while screaming that the devil was inside her, I knew that no amount of conversation was going to get through to her, so I filed for divorce. My wife tried to fight it, but thanks to the nest cam footage of her exercising our daughter, I was granted full custody. It was tough, but necessary. Teresa moved out quickly, assuring Camille she'd see her again soon with a wink, before giving me a cold stare and slamming the door. I stood there for a moment as I watched the woman I loved leaving our home in Maine and the life we'd built before I felt a small tug at my sleeve as Camille stared up at me, her auburn hair tied up in space buns and her big blue eyes piercing my soul. I felt myself welling up, but I sat down with her and began signing. Mom and I have had to take some time apart, baby. I slowly signed, nowhere near the skill level I needed, to be for a conversation like this, but I had no choice. Camille stared at me for a moment, processing the situation, and obviously trying to formulate the words in her mind carefully. This is my fault, isn't it? She slowly signed, her hand shaking ever so slightly. If I wasn't like this, we'd be... No, I signed back, also vocalizing it silently, so she could see the firmness in my statement. You are perfect just how you are. This is Mommy's issue to deal with, not yours, I promise. I believed it, too. After a year and a half of learning ASL... This was just a natural part of my life, and anything that allowed me to get into Camille's world was worth any sacrifice. Teresa's frustration and pain were understandable, but these faith healings were not the way to go. Mommy will be back soon, I promise. I signed back slowly, trying to make sure I didn't make false promises. I still wasn't totally comfortable with her being anywhere near my daughter after what I'd seen, but this wasn't as simple as my desires. Camille stared at me for a minute before sighing, giving me a nod and reaching her arms out for a hug. I held her as she silently wept into my shoulder. Over the next few months, Camille tried to understand that Mom wasn't coming back. The supervised visits never happened, as Teresa kept no showing for them. No amount of furious voicemails I left seemed to do any good. The last straw was Camille's tenth birthday, two months after Teresa left. Watching Camille burst into tears on her birthday was the biggest gut punch I could have ever imagined. And I could do nothing to fix it. When calling Teresa's parents, 
I was met with obstinance and ignorance, spouting the exact same nonsense about the devil that their daughter had tried to impart onto Camille. Eventually, I got drunk and, against my better judgment, left yet another voicemail telling her, in not-so-kind words, that she'd destroyed our daughter's trust in her irrevocably by trusting an imaginary friend over the life she created that has tangible thoughts and feelings, and to take her god and shove it up her ass. Not my proudest moment, I'll admit, there's only so many times you can see the mother of your child let her down. Teresa never returned my calls, and after that, Camille stopped asking about her. She regressed into her room, and I'd even occasionally catch her trying to play pretend with the stuffed animals she had in her room, signing to them as if it were her mom and telling them about her day. She found a coping mechanism, and while it was hard to watch... I was happy for anything to help her move past this. She still needed space, and I wanted to give her that. Ten years old is a tough time for her to know such things, and I needed to be supportive, not pushy. So when I prepared to leave for a conference in the next town, leaving her with a babysitter, she asked to spend the day in her room writing and watching TV until late. I didn't protest. My babysitter, Brianna, was an ideal fit for Camille. Brianna was 18 years old and born deaf, but had cochlear implants, meaning I could call her if I needed to, but she could sign perfectly with Camille. It was like her big sister she never had, and having her around pulled Camille out of her shell immensely. Brianna was bright. She was a kind young woman and seemed taken with Camille. Her father, Dale, was a good neighbor and someone I knew I could trust if things ever took a turn. While I was still hesitant to leave, I knew at least she was in good hands. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Daddy, how much do you love me? She signed to me as I got ready to go out the door, more upset than usual. I kneeled down and signed back slowly. More than words can say. I smiled and got a grin in return, kissing her forehead, before nodding to the babysitter. I'll be back the day after tomorrow. Camille won't be a bother, I promise. You have my number if you need anything. I handed the babysitter some money for extra pizza and began my journey to the airport. It must have been around 4 a.m. when my phone began buzzing with a FaceTime request from Camille. Exhausted, but on instinct, I propped the phone up on my case and began signing as my eyes adjusted to the darkness. 
Baby, it's very late. Is everything okay? I signed, waiting in the pitch-black silence for an answer. But none came. Instead, the sound of a light gurgling filled my ears and made my hair stand on end. It sounded almost pained, like someone had ingested mouthwash and was struggling to lean their head forward to spit it out. I snapped awake and stared at the black screen, but I could barely make out the shape moving in front of me, the pixels giving way as it flexed and bent around the screen. Fear beginning to grip me, I signed again as I heard a tapping accompanying the gurgling. Camille, if you can see me, I need you to show me, baby, or I'm going to call the police. I signed back, the tapping, repeating the rhythm, as the shape still moved. A car passed by the curtain to my daughter's room, and I saw what was dancing on the screen. My muscles cramped up, and I reached for the phone by my bedside, immediately calling the babysitter. She was disheveled, almost emaciated, and looked nearly completely naked, save for a ragged white cloth covering her chest and hips. Her skin was ripped, and wounds were openly bleeding down her body. Some were oozing black blood, while others seeped as if they were pustules. Her face was almost completely obscured by thick matted hair that ran down her face and covered all but her mouth. Her head jerked in an upwards fashion. Her body moved in an unnatural way, the cadence of her taps coming from what I could only assume were joints, snapping around as she maneuvered in my daughter's bedroom. It was just a few seconds but it will stay with me for the rest of my life. No sooner had the image faded back into the near darkness, the babysitter picked up the phone, sleepily answering, Mr. Watson, what is it? Brianna, someone's in the house. They're in Camille's room. I need you to get to your dad's. He's got a gun. Get him to go back into the house now. I'll call the police, okay? There was a long pause, longer than I would have liked in the situation, before Brianna, now more alert, answered quickly. Mr. Watson, Camille is asleep next to me on the couch. We watched movies all night. I'll get her up and do what you say, okay? The sounds of Brianna picking up Camille and taking her to the door filled me with some degree of relief. Over the next few minutes, she found her dad and they ventured back over to the house, gun in hand. On my phone, I could still see the darkened shape moving and gurgling as I heard footsteps echoing up toward Camille's room. But as soon as they turned on the light, there was no figure dancing on the screen. Instead of relief, however, I felt dread, because there were two things in that room that set me on my journey home a day early and began the waking nightmare I live with to this day. The first was a series of drawings that had been ripped from a pink journal and scattered all over the floor, some stuck to the walls. While they weren't easy to make out on the phone, my neighbor Dale described some of them as drawings of a thin woman covered in sores, always in different poses in each photo, like a dance of sorts. The second was far more chilling, and was the primary reason I got straight into my car and drove home. The window behind the dancing figure was broken. Glass was strewn across the yard with the trail leading to the woods connected to our backyard. The next couple of days were punctuated by concerned calls to family members 
grateful talks with the neighbor, and angry voicemails left with the police after they said there wasn't much to do beyond put locks on your windows and we'll patrol when we can. I sat down with Camille when things died down and tried to ask her about the journal, but she was unusually defensive and almost frightened to discuss whatever she'd written in there. You know, whatever you wrote, no matter how mean it is about me or Mom, I won't be upset. I signed to her, hoping to reassure her. I'll understand if you're mad and need to say those things. But Camille didn't write negative things about either one of us. In fact, she didn't write anything at all about us. After a few minutes of silence, Camille looked around the living room and signed back shakily. She came to me six days after Mom left. She looked just like Mom, but dirtier. She couldn't talk, and she struggled to understand me when I signed, so it took some time to understand each other, she began. Every sign held such hesitation, and I could do nothing but watch. Those first nights were short meetings. She would appear in the corner, her legs would move weird, and she'd never walk anywhere, always this kind of shuffle, I guess. She'd get close to my bed, her hand would reach out to touch my forehead, but she'd stop and shuffle quickly to my window, pointing at the forest before making that sound and leaving she looked at me almost shamefully as she stopped. I was still unsure what was going on and felt it better to hear her out entirely than try to question everything at once. But after some time, she learned to sign in a different way, through her dancing. I would sign, and she'd respond with a dance move that I somehow understood. She said she'd watched me from the forest as I moved in, she felt my pain when Mom would yell at me, shake me, call me names. She wanted, once, to adopt me and be my new mommy. But she cast her gaze toward our backyard, the forest, a few hundred yards away, now ancient, foreboding and downright menacing, rather than a welcoming sight of nature and solitude. Each tree rising high like black spires so closely clustered together that all light beyond the first five feet is totally gone. A black canvas filled with the eyes of untold creatures sat watching us as we watched them. I felt a strong sense of unease wash over me as I looked back at Camille, tapping her thigh as she continued to stare into the yard. But she asked me to do something that made me wonder if she was real, and that scared me. I told her to go away, and she got angry. She started pulling at her skin, and her eyes grew wide, and she stared beyond me, past me, and to the wall behind me. A gurgling sound filled the room as my eyes fixated on Camille, my instincts screaming at me not to turn around as we sat in the middle of my living room. But logic kept me centered, and I had another concern mounting in my mind that I dared not share with her. That skin isn't her skin. She signed back slowly, deliberately, as she kept her eyes on whatever was behind me. Camille, look at me, honey. I promise you that she's not real. I tried to smile, but the situation was growing worse. Camille began shaking as her signs got faster and her lip trembled. She came from the pit, 
She'll return to the pit with me. We'll go to the land where the sun never shines. She finally looked at me, and I saw the absolute terror in her face. I don't want to go, Daddy. I'm so sorry. She leapt up and ran to her room before I could stop her, slamming the door and sitting against it as I knocked, trying to get her to communicate. But without seeing her and being able to sign, it was pretty difficult. Baby, I just want to know you're okay. One knock for yes, two for no, okay? Knock, knock. I frowned. I was beginning to worry the same issues that plagued her mother had begun to find their way into my daughter. For a long time, I wasn't convinced that Teresa was well, and the bouts of mania, delusions of grandeur and speaking with God, culminated in a visit to a psychiatrist who confirmed my suspicions. Schizophrenia. I dared not tell Camille the truth, in part due to her age, and because the fear of it being passed down was all too real for me. But now things were different. I need to finish our conversation with you. Can we do that soon? I asked, hoping she would come around. Thump. It wasn't a knock, but I took it as a yes. Okay. I'll give you some space and come back later. I love you more than words can say. Remember that. I went back downstairs and tried to focus on next steps. I made some calls to friends asking for advice and settled on a meeting with a psychiatrist at the recommendation of her physician, hoping if we caught it early it was treatable. It was a couple hours later and I decided, before I went back up to check on Camille, I'd call her grandparents and at least inform them of what happened so they could pass it on to Teresa, even if I didn't want her actively in Camille's life. However, when I tried calling... The phone simply timed out whenever I tried, and I was unable to reach their inbox to even leave a message. Perplexed, I opened up my laptop and began to boot up Skype, hoping to get them somehow and provide an update, but as it booted up, I saw they weren't online, and I sank back into my chair and pinched the bridge of my nose in frustration. Then I noticed my Nest Cam app was working and I was able to see a shadow from Camille's room. Something was moving out of view, and I wasn't able to discern what, but it made me uneasy. I left the laptop open and walked upstairs, knocking on her door. No answer. I could hear a faint series of taps and thuds as I sat in silence, waiting for some kind of reply from her. After a few moments, I caught glimpses of a shadow moving underneath the doorframe, and decided to look, hoping it was just a case of Camille having her headphones in and not noticing me. I was instead greeted by the sight of my daughter bent over backwards, her palms and the soles of her feet facing inward as her back kept clicking further and further inwards, her head snapping as it cranked further back, each finger and toe making a rhythmic tapping sound that faintly resembled a beat. Within a few moments... Her body collapsed to the floor, stomach first, her left foot now tapping incessantly as her leg lurched forward towards her face before the other joined it. Ligaments tore as her top half slid underneath her legs and snapped up, contorting faster and more aggressively as she spun around the room. Outside of my view, I could hear a gurgling and a reciprocal tapping. 
Something was very, very wrong, and I knew I had to get in there. Without a second thought, I began forcing my shoulder against the door, the wood buckling under the pressure, but holding steady as I shouted her name. Camille! Stay there, baby. I'm coming. You'll be okay. With a third lunge forward, the door gave way and I stumbled forward. The drawings from her journal were still scattered about the room as a once-repaired window was now wide open, the wind blowing while the trees leaned menacingly forward at its command. My daughter was gone. I called the police and informed them someone had taken my daughter away, possibly the same woman I saw the other night that my daughter said she befriended. Do you have anyone in mind she'd go willingly with? Anyone she trusted? The detective asked me, tired but sympathetic eyes staring back at me. My mind thought back on the way Camille had behaved, the secrecy, talking to things that weren't there, and even the movements. I couldn't help but wonder. My wife, we separated because of how she was treating Camille, and uh, she's not well, mental health problems. I trailed off, almost feeling ashamed with myself, for explaining it as if this was still somehow my fault. The detective, to his credit, either didn't notice or didn't acknowledge it. I gave him an address and her family's details, assuring him that someone would know where she was. We'll follow up with that immediately. Until then, I need you to stay here and wait. Sometimes when a child runs away, they turn back up home. If your wife did take her, there's still a chance she might drop her back home without issue. He leaned in and put a hand on my shoulder. We'll find your daughter, don't worry. I spent the evening in a haze, staring out at my backyard and sipping a drink my wife had bought me last Christmas. I didn't even taste it, but the numbing aspect helped me forget the things I'd seen over the last few days. After a while, I went up to Camille's room and figured that maybe reading her journal, though an invasion of privacy no dad should ever encroach on, would perhaps help me better understand what was going on in her mind. Before I could process everything I'm seeing, the laptop begins chiming downstairs. I head down to inspect and see the caller ID as Teresa's parents. I frantically pick up and try to keep my words calm and to the point. Ella? Roy? Camille's gone. She's been taken. What? What do you mean she's taken? Did, did some pervert nab her in the night? My mother-in-law shrieks back, the panic obvious in her voice, as my father-in-law begins to talk to her. No, Ella, I think Teresa took her. I don't think she's been taking her meds, and she's clearly not looking after herself. Camille said she'd been talking to a new mommy that looked just like Teresa, but dirtier. I've tried calling Teresa dozens of times over the past few months, and I never thought she'd have just gone off the face of the earth. I couldn't even reach you for answers. What's going on? I lose my cool, my face feeling hot, and tears running down my face as those last words escape me. Where's my baby girl? It was a very long pause, and I can hear discussion in the background, before the phone is passed over to Roy, who speaks in a more concerned voice than I've ever heard from him in the 17 years I've known the man. Paul... Teresa was committed 60 days ago for trying to stab a postal worker. 
She thought he was the devil in disguise and that it was her duty to carry out God's will. She said she'd heard God talking to her through the toaster. He trailed off, the pain in his voice too sincere to be deception. We didn't tell you because, well, we didn't know how. We wanted to, honest we did. But letting our little Cammie know her mom had just gone crazy, just, it didn't sit right with us. And we were hoping she'd be better soon and this could go behind us. My hands were balling into fists, and I could feel the nails digging into my flesh so intensely that the blood was dripping down my fingers. We didn't want to ruin her chances of ever seeing her daughter again. You understand, don't you? No, no, Roy, I don't. My baby is out there with a stranger, and I just told the police it was the person she thinks is her mom. Do you have any idea what this means? Now, we can talk about this later. What we need to do now is focus on... Well, I slammed the laptop shut and immediately called the detective, leaving him a frantic voicemail as I step out to go to my neighbors, the cold night air hitting me in the face as I push forward. Dale, you got that automatic shotgun? I ask him, stone-faced and probably smelling of booze. Yeah, I do. Paul, you gotta let the detectives do their job. They can't do it quick enough, trust me, Dale. I stare at him, knowing full well how bad this looks. I need the gun, now. Dale shuffles awkwardly on the porch step, taking in the situation in front of him. Paul, if they don't find anything tonight, I'll go with you myself tomorrow. But for now, you need to wait. He looks at me with sympathy, hoping to quell my anger. Dale, what would you do if it was your daughter in those woods? I ask him coldly, not averting my eyes even when he looks away. He doesn't reply. He nods and stepped into the house for a few minutes. I pace in the porch while I wait, seeing his daughter Brianna staring at me from the kitchen window. She walks around to speak to me. She's gone, isn't she? She asks, her voice cracking. I just nod, refusing to stop moving, as I wait for Dale to get back. Oh, God. So she actually did it. I stopped pacing, staring at her. Did... did what, Brianna? What did she do? I stepped forward, eyes now fixed on her face. What did she do? When you left, she went up to her room for a bit before bringing down the journal she'd been writing in. I was interested, and I asked her about it. She asked me if I could keep a secret, and I said yes. She showed me the journal, and aside from the words, new mom, it was just drawings of, well, it looked like her mom. But each photo showed a different pose, and her skin got worse. Brianna rubbed her arms as she described it. With each drawing, she got bigger on the page. Her features became deformed. And on the last one... Oh, Paul, I'm so sorry. What? What was it? Brianna, if you don't tell me, the police will ask you themselves. My heart was pounding in my chest. The last one was her, covered in blood. She was holding hands with the new mom in a dark pit, and above them, there was just a pile of blood and the skin on the floor... She wrote something on the back of it, but I didn't see that. There was a silence as Dale's footsteps came closer. 
and he handed me the shotgun. Paul, if I'd known this was real, I'd have said something, I promise. Brianna pleaded tears running down her face. I never, I never imagined she'd, no, God. I nod to Dale before rushing back to the house, not saying a word to either one of them. The house felt cold and desolate as I stepped inside and made my way to her room, trying to find the page Brianna described. It took a bit of searching, but I came across it, hanging above her bed. It was vile. Her small frame devoid of all skin, hiding in a deep black pit, surrounded by trees, holding hands with the elongated figure of something, something so unnatural that... I had to resist every urge not to rip it up the moment I saw it. I gazed further down the page and saw a pile of skin and blood displayed like a fresh kill, the black writing on the back seeping through and daring me to look. I took the page from the wall and turned it over to read what it said, gun still gripped firmly in my hand. Here lies Daddy's skin. Then he can dance like us. Join us in the pit. A new family. The gurgling sound returned, followed by a wet slorp sound in my kitchen as I raced downstairs, slipping on the floor as I turned the corner and my head colliding with the coffee table in a thunderous crash. My vision blurred and with my head thumping, I see a shape dance unnaturally towards me, limbs crunching and torso twisting, as the innumerable gurgles and clicks fill my ears until it's deafening. I shut my eyes out of pain and feel it rear up close to me, grabbing my face with two appendages and pulling it close, its lips touching my forehead before it utters five words that shatter my soul beyond repair, each one accompanied by a shuffle as it gets farther away from me. More than words can say. Then I woke up. I was being tended to outside by police and paramedics. Tape was strewn all across my property as thick black bags were taken by men and women in hazmat suits. Everyone looked at me with such sympathy. I didn't need to ask why. They said it was most likely a bear attack, that the two, or maybe even just Camille, had gotten lost in the woods, attacked by the bear on their way back, and ripped to pieces as it tried to find more food here. Her beautiful hair, the main identifier. They were convinced and offered me condolences as they wrapped things up. But I knew better. I still do. I know that there's something in those woods that takes the form of something it knows it can prey upon. It wears the skin of a loved one to lure you in, but whatever is underneath. It's something I never wished to understand. It's been six months, and it gurgles to me every night, beckoning me from the entrance to the woods. Sometimes I'll look on a long evening, a bottle of rum in hand, and see two shapes dancing from afar. Too distant to make out features, but I know it's them. I know it didn't want to be her mother. My wife and her family have been calling regularly, as have the neighbors, but I don't answer anymore. I know what's waiting for me now. I know that they'll eventually get bolder and take me when I'm vulnerable. 
Truth be told, I miss my baby girls so much that I may just let them. But I still have this shotgun, and I've decided when I pass this on to you, I'm going to go into the woods and let fate decide what happens to me. Madam Lockwood, these creatures are real, and they prey upon people who've lost someone dear to them. They live in the deepest parts of the woods, and they still don't know what they want. But I do know that they're beyond anything we could ever understand or beat. It wants my skin. I just might let them have it, if I can see my daughter again. I hope you enjoyed Skin Dancer by author T.J. Lee, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Lee. That's spelled L-E-A. He has many delightful and frightful stories for you to enjoy. He has more from Sturgeon coming soon, or so I've heard. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know you heard about them on this program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm sure TJ would very much appreciate it also. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended version of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month Get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyre channel, where you'll find new releases of my series, Horror Story Time, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some rest and sleep. If you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. 
Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.